If you're our guest, my name is Will. I get to serve as pastor here, and I'm excited that you are here with us. We began last week a new series through the uh, book of Galatians. So I invite you, if you have your Bible, to take it out, turn it on, and join me, if you would, in the New Testament book of the Galatians. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you or don't have one of your very own, there should be some maybe under the chairs somewhere around you. Feel free to take that out and and use that. And if you don't have one of your own or know someone that needs one, please feel free to um, take that with you as our gift to you uh, this morning. But we, as I said, we started a new series through the book of Galatians last week, a series that we have titled Set Free, Live Free. Has there uh, been a part, a time maybe in your life when you've been in trouble? I'm not talking about like mom and dad, you got, you got stuck putting your hand in the, in the cookie jar when you're not supposed to, snatching something and everything. I'm talking about like called the cops on you trouble. Uh, that happened to me once. I know, I'm your pastor, That's, and, and I was, the, I was, the, <laughs> I was the, the good kid, so you can imagine how shocked I was when I was in college, and I had a group of friends uh, over. We were celebrating a birthday for uh, one of my roommates, and we had maybe only about eight to nine people in our small apartment, and we were having fun. It was a fall night, and so, or actually maybe early spring. It was early spring night, and uh, so we had the windows open so that we could get some fresh air in the apartment, and we were having fun, and we were laughing and talking and playing some games and um, there was a, a particular song that we knew if we played this, one of my friends who was really goofy could never resist dancing to this song. And so we, we put it on, and we played it pretty loud. And I uh, got this friend to, um, to, to dance to the song. We were having a blast, and it wasn't very much longer that we heard this loud on the front door, to which one of my friends uh, goes to the door and looks through the peephole and goes, guys, it's the cops! Completely ignorant of the fact that he's like two feet away from an open window and the cop is right there on the other side. And so panic, <laughs> he, he panicked. And uh, so I went to the door and, and I, I opened the door and I stepped out to speak to the police officer and said, officer, what's wrong? And uh, he said that someone had called a, a noise uh, complaint on us, that we were being too loud, and that we needed to um, get things under control. And I said, yes, sir. And he went on to, to tell me if, if it didn't, and he had to come back, that there were going to be severe consequences. And I said, yes, sir. We'll take care of that right away. And he went on about his business, but I remember that was, we tell, we laugh about it now, but at the time, there was no laughing um, and uh, about it, because we were a group of church kids, and here was the police banging on our door and, um, and, and telling us that we needed to, to get things under control. Why do I say, share that story as we're here at the beginning of, um, of Galatians? Because every point, in our, there's points in every one of our lives when we wander, when we stray, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. We veer from a path of righteousness. We veer from um, the, the, the anchor that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a believer, maybe you have experienced that, that, that point in your life. Just like the old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we are all prone to that, and we need in those moments when we are wandering, when we are veering away, when we are pulled astray, when we are deceived, we need someone to come in and give us that reality check that pulls us back in. 
And a lot of times that can be done in tenderness and in love, but sometimes there needs to be that firm hand, a reminder that there are rules, there are principles, there, there is a way. And we need to come back to that. And just like that police officer had the responsibility to come and enforce the law and bring things uh, back to the, um, bring us back into conformity so that we could stop disturbing our neighbors, we sometimes need someone who will come in who will remind us of the truth that comes from the Lord through his word and that ultimately we must believe and that exposes the lies that we're tempted to believe. And that's pretty much the purpose of Paul's gospel. Paul's not coming back to enforce the law. We'll actually see that as we study further on. But Paul is coming back to the Galatians, uh, churches that he planted, to remind them of the truth of the gospel and expose lies that are competing for their heart and for their affection. And he starts off his gospel with an urgency that explains so much of the, gospel, of the rest of the, the, the letter for us. And so I want to look, if you will, with, look with me in Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read the first nine verses this morning together. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so we now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we pray right now that in this time together, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts that you would bring us to the place of humility as we look into the truth of your word. May you reveal to us what may be in our lives that are competing for our affections, what is leading us astray, that we might commit this morning to surrender ourselves completely and fully and totally to the true gospel, to the one and only gospel because that's the only gospel that leads us into reconciliation with you, and you are the only one who has the power not only to transform our circumstances, but to transform our lives and our destinies. So I pray this morning that you would make bold and make clear the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. Last week, we did a big overview of the book of Galatians, and if you'll remember, I divided Galatians into really three major sections, chapters 1 and 2, 3 and 4, and 5 and 6. And that's, the purpose of that was to sketch. An artist or, or, or someone who is going to um, write a novel or, or make a sculptor or sculpture or, or paint a painting, they, they start with drafts. 
that they then go back and they fill in with greater detail over time. And so last week was the draft, the overview of Galatians as we split it up broadly. And our goal as we walk through the book of Galatians together over the next uh, several months is that we will begin to add detail to that sketch and we will grow to understand. And what we find out in this very first um, verses, the opening introduction as Paul is, is speaking to the churches of Galatia, is Paul makes very clear there is one and only one gospel, period. There's only one gospel. That gospel is identifiable. That gospel is, um, it has been taught. That gospel uh, has effects. And to turn from that gospel, there are consequences. And so Paul, knowing that there are consequences of turning away from that one and only true gospel, writes this letter to the Galatians with a serious urgency because he knows that this is not just something that is going to mess up their relationships and their here and now life. This is something that is endangering their eternal destiny. And so Paul opens this letter with an urgent message, and he even introduces here in the very beginning of the letter several of the problems that he's, gonna, that he's going to expand on later throughout the letter. I said last week that chapters 1 and 2 fits under kind of the broad headline where Paul is defending the authority of his gospel. When I say his gospel, I don't mean that Paul created this thing, because as a matter of fact, what we find out is in what we see very first is that Paul is the messenger of the gospel, and as the messenger of the gospel, he has been sent by someone. It's not his gospel, it's someone else's. And so in the opening verse, Paul introduces himself as an apostle. Now, what in the world is an apostle? An apostle literally means a sent one. It's very similar in, in some ways to uh, an ambassador. It's someone who has been commissioned and sent out on behalf of someone and given a measure of authority to speak on and act on behalf of that person, right? When that police officer banged on my door, he came with something, a demarcation of his authority to tell me what to do. Now, I'll be real honest, I would have much rather preferred my neighbor who was so disturbed by our, our, our fun to knock on my door and ask, hey, would you mind cutting it down? I got a baby, I got a whatever, you know, something else. But that didn't happen. Instead, I got a police officer. And the, whereas the neighbor had the authority to ask me to, to do something, this police officer had the authority to tell me to do something. And should I not obey, then there is consequences. So Paul, in a way, as he starts off here, is explaining the source of his authority, that he is an apostle. Now, when we go back and we look at the, the, the Gospels, the, the proper Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we know that there are 12 men that Jesus set apart, and Luke tells us that he commissioned them as apostles. And that's oftentimes what you will see in writing as a big A apostle. There were 12 apostles appointed by Jesus Christ, okay? Those apostles then were uh, specifically commissioned by him and had a status that came from Jesus within the early church, okay? And so there seems to be this attack on Paul's ministry that since he wasn't one of those 12, he didn't actually have the authority that he claimed to have in the church. And so Paul has to start off in the very beginning defending his position in the church. I'm an apostle, not from man. So the indication is that someone is saying that Paul doesn't have the authority because Paul was appointed 
not by Jesus, but is instead ordained by the church at Antioch. And so he comes with man's authority and not God's authority. Paul starts off right here saying, no, that is not in fact the case. Instead, that Paul has been commissioned by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. My apostleship, he said, my authority does not come from a man. It doesn't come from me. Instead, it comes through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul is advocating for his authority. He is declaring that he has been given by God the special ability to speak, not just with man's authority, but with God's authority. And so from the outset, he is declaring that he is not ordained by God, but as we'll see next week, was called by God, was set apart by God. And so he's claiming to have divine authority in his office, and therefore, he has authority in both his mission and his message. That comes from God. When we come to this book, brothers and sisters, as I shared last week, and I'll share again and again and again, what we believe to be true about these words are these words are not simply some man's words who lived 2,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, at any point of any of the men and, and writers of Scripture. But instead, we believe that the Bible teaches of itself that it is inspired by God. Everything that God wanted communicated and written for you and for me, he oversaw the process so that it was communicated. So when we preach this book, teach this book, we are saying that this is God's word to you. Which is why Paul or Luke commends the Berean church over and against, I believe it was the, Thessalonica, the church of Thessalonica, that they didn't like what Paul was teaching though he, in the book of Acts, though he could prove it from Scripture. But the Bereans, what did the Bereans do? They took everything that Paul taught and they checked it against Scripture. And so from the very outset, as we're thinking about what this means for you and for me, that Paul is declaring that he is an apostle given a divine authority, it means that Paul is saying from the outset everything that he has taught to this church and everything that he's going to remind them of in this letter is God's Word. And if it's God's Word, we must conform our lives to it. If it's God's message... It's not our ability or responsibility or privilege to bend God's words to our will. We must bend ourselves and bow ourselves to it. But it's also important that Paul says here, he's not the only one sending this message. Did you see that? Even though Paul is an apostle with a divine authority of God, he's not the only one writing this letter. He goes on in verse 2, says, all the brothers who are with me, Paul is writing this in community with other brothers and sisters who are in agreement with him as he sends this message to the churches all throughout the region of Galatia. That Paul, though he has the right to speak this as the apostle appointed by God for the Gentiles, he is still nonetheless part of a larger body of believers writing in conjunction with them as they witness with him about the truth of the message that Paul is about to remind them of, and explain. And it tells us the significance and the importance of being with brothers and sisters in Christ. Even Paul wasn't attempting to do this on his own, but he had others gathered around him to support him, to encourage him, to bear witness with him about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and communicate that. And so Paul and these witnesses, as they are messengers, they send the message of the gospel, which is what Paul articulates in verses 3 and through 5. When that police officer came to my door, he didn't just come in his authority, he came with a message. 
And there was authority in his position as a police officer, and there was authority in his message because it reflected the law that he was there to enforce. Namely, that if you don't pull this down and bring your, your, noise control, or your noise complaint down underneath, then you'll not just be charged with a noise complaint, you will be charged with disorderly conduct or disturbing the peace if you refuse to comply. Paul doesn't hesitate in this letter to introduce the truth of the gospel. He is going to build on it, and he's going to expound on it and expand it as we go into the rest of the gospel. But right here at the very outset, he holds no punches. He hits them with a beautiful summary of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As he says in verses 3 and 4, he prays over them grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let's, let's work that backwards a little bit, okay? Let's start at the end and, because he, he starts off of, of what he's praying over them and then he explains where that comes from. So let's go to the end. Where does it start? It starts with God, the Father in all of his holiness and all of his glory, the Father to whom glory be forever and ever. That God and Father had a desire, a will, to rescue and redeem people. And in working with that will, the Father sent His Son who willingly went. And that Son delivered us from a broken and an evil age. He did that by doing something. He did it by giving Himself for our sins. Paul introduces the, the power of the gospel that God is the author of grace and the author of our salvation. And what the Father designed and willed and planned, what he authored, the Son comes into the world in working with the will of the Father to accomplish on our behalves as he gave himself for our sins. Sins are anything that we do. We've, we've seen it as we've rehearsed the gospel together over the last several months. Remember, sin is any way that we attempt to flee from God's perfect design and do in our own strength, in our own way, in our own will, what only God can do. When we reject God's plan and instead try to impose our own and live in our own, that is sin. It's trying to be God. And there's a consequence for that. God in his love for us sent his son to pay for that consequence. He gave himself. He sacrificed himself. An essential point of the gospel is not only that you and I are sinners, but there is a consequence for our sin, namely separation from God, not only in physical death, but spiritual eternal death. And God did what was necessary to pay for that consequence in his son, Jesus Christ. And it was God who wanted it, and it was Jesus who did it. So there's an important something to, to see in this. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to know, if you are here today, anyone, you're not loved because Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you because you're loved by God first. God loved you. He does love you. No matter where you're at, he has a will for your heart and for your life. And he's done everything that is necessary through his son to rescue us, to deliver us from the evil age. Now, there's a tension in that because the truth of the matter is, have we been delivered from this evil age? Yes and no. Spiritually, 
There is the reality that we have been born again, using Scripture's language. We have been given a new life in Christ. We've been adopted as sons and daughters, but we are still in this evil world and suffering under the reality of sin around us. And so there is this tension that exists between the already and the not yet. We have already been saved, but one day we will be fully saved from the the presence of sin itself and all of sin's power in our lives will be vanquished once and for all. And so we live in this tension, and it's in that tension that we then struggle with our faith and with our understanding and our faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus gave himself for us, and the result of all of that when we believe on Jesus Christ is grace, where God gives us what we don't deserve, which is sonship, being adopted into his family, a new heart, a new life, a new destiny, a new future, The freedom to live as sons and daughters of God, that is grace. We can't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. And a peace that even in the midst of this tension between the already and the not yet of our existence and our identity and reality, there is a peace that surpasses understanding that comes from knowing what Jesus Christ has done for us and who Jesus Christ is with us even now. So grace and, things aren't, grace and peace aren't things that we have the ability to stir up within ourselves. Instead, there's something that must be bestowed upon us by the Father and the Son through the application of the truth of the gospel. We'll see in just a minute that the people of Galatia, the churches of Galatia, they're no longer at peace. Instead, they are troubled. They're not, because they're not experiencing the freedom that comes from the grace of the gospel. Because when we turn away from the gospel to something that is less than the gospel, we're turning again into a slavery by forsaking the peace that God provides only through his son, Jesus Christ. And so there is a peacelessness, an anxiety, a stress, a strain that is happening in the churches of Galatia as they are turning to something that is less than the gospel. So we must understand, brothers and sisters, if the gospel is the source of grace and peace, because the gospel is what connects us to the God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who are the givers of peace, then the gospel is everything. We must know the gospel. Not just know it in our heads, brothers and sisters. We must be saturated with the gospel. Have you ever, some of you, you've got probably a dried, crusty sponge somewhere in a cabinet buried in your house. That sponge, what good is it to you? It's a good chew toy or fetch toy for the dog, right? But it does no, has no ability to do for you what it, it needs to do. If you take that dried out, crusty sponge and you have a big bucket of water right there and you bring that sponge and you, and you dunk it in there and you pull it out just like that, How saturated is that sponge with water in that moment? Not very. Maybe a little bit on the surface. And yet, brothers and sisters, that is where many Christians are living their lives. Their heart is that sponge that is so in desperate need of the grace and the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we're doing is coming to church week upon week upon week, and we're like that sponge just getting dropped in the bucket and pulled right back out and expect to then be useful in the kingdom of God, to live saturated in the kingdom of God from this point forward. But you know, then maybe that's not it. Maybe there's a halfway life that we're living where, like a sponge, if you just set it on top of the 
um, the bucket and it's floating around. Maybe there's a point where it gets soaked about halfway through, but that top part of the sponge can still be crusty and there are places in our lives that are, are useless to God. When instead what we need is to be fully immersed in that grace and peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that when we are out, we are dripping with the gospel. So that you ever take a sponge that you have just soaked with water and you don't wring it out and you try to get it somewhere, what happens? That water, whatever is in that sponge, drips on everything. And it makes a mess because no matter where you take it, the water is pouring out of it until you get to where you can wring it out. And then whatever is inside of it is what comes out. Why have we been focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ so intensely over the last several months? Why have I asked you to read this book that is about this heart of Jesus Christ for sinners and sufferers, which we still have extra copies of. We are providing them one per household if you want to read it. Because we must be saturated in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is what connects us. The truth of the gospel connects us to the person of God and Jesus Christ. And we must be saturated in that so that wherever we go in this life, wherever we end up, we are, the gospel is pouring out of us. And we can't do that with a weekly little dip, with a daily little soak. We must live moment by moment deeply in love with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we are in love with the true gospel of Jesus Christ, anything that is less than the true gospel of Jesus Christ is repulsive to us, which is why we see Paul is repulsed by the mess that is going on in Galatia. The mess that is happening as they are turning to something that is not the gospel. There's a problem that has come from this gospel that is no gospel. The first few verses, we see Paul is the messenger of the gospel. Then he articulates the message of the gospel. And now we see this mess that's going on in Galatia because they have turned away. In turning away from the gospel, it's causing two problems. First off, to turn away from the message of the gospel is to turn away from the person of the gospel. We say regularly the gospel transforms lives, but I'll be real honest, that's, that's really not fully true, is it? Jesus transforms lives. God transforms lives. But as what we see right here in turning to a lesser gospel, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. Not it, him. You're committing treason. You're giving your heart to someone other than the God who has done all of this for you, who has rescued you, delivered you, has saved you. By turning to another gospel, you are turning to another God. Paul so links the message of the gospel with the person who is the author of the gospel that to turn away from the gospel to anything, to dilute the gospel by adding anything, is to dilute the person of God himself and to commit treason. He says, you are turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then he says, there is no other gospel when we turn away from the truth of the gospel, we turn away from the one who is behind the gospel. And when we do that, we don't merely just disturb the peace in our lives. We disturb the fate of our future. Because to turn away from a different gospel is to turn towards the path of damnation. Because there's only one gospel. And that gospel leads us to God. And anything else, anything less, leads us away from God. And so that's why Paul is so upset. 
as he says, I am astonished that you're so quickly doing this because to turn away from it, he says, is to turn to a curse. Anyone who proclaims a, less than a, go- a lesser gospel than what I have proclaimed, anyone who proclaims a different gospel than what I have proclaimed, let him be accursed. Let him be damned, is what Paul is declaring, because that is what the path that he is laying for the people, to turn it away. And there's no graver consequence than eternal separation from God in the place that the Bible calls hell. And so Paul is even angry that the people that he loved are being led astray to something that is so spiritually dangerous. And so he writes to them with a boldness that I don't even have a word to describe. There's not, I don't think that there is a word in the English language that is strong enough to describe Paul's attitude in these verses when he says, listen, brothers and sisters, if I were to show up and change the message that I first preached to you, then let me be cursed. Do you realize the significance of that? If Paul comes back to Galatians, say, hey guys, I got a little bit of this thing wrong, so we're going to tweak it a little bit. Paul says, if I show up and do that, then let me be cursed. If an angel comes from heaven and declares a different message than the one that I have declared to you in the past, let the angel be accursed. Do you realize how serious that is? For Paul to say, the message that I have already given to you is complete and done. Anyone who adds to it, anyone who takes away from it, even if it's me or a messenger from God, you better run. Talk about stepping back because of a strike of lightning is going to come. That person is on a one-way ticket to a nonstop train ride to hell. That's how bold Paul is with this. Even if I show up and tell you that I got it wrong, let me be accursed. That the message is that crucial and that important, which is why a police officer had such urgency when he banged on my door. Because if I didn't comply, guess what? I was going to jail. And so were a couple of other people. And so Paul is urgently writing There's consequences to turning to something other than the gospel, the true gospel, from adding to it. So no matter the messenger, the message is what you have to assess. Brothers and sisters, there are a lot of really popular preachers that are a whole lot better than me, that are really funny, that are really engaging, that are really, you know, just they're they're blowing and going in ministries and they have a huge platform. How do we know which ones are safe? We have to know the gospel good enough and well enough to know when they veer from it. Because I don't care who it is, if it's Adrian Rogers, if it's Billy Graham, if it's John MacArthur, if it's anybody, and they veer from the message, they're taking you to hell. No matter how experienced, no matter how popular, no matter how big the platform, so we must be wary And we must judge the messenger based on the message that he is bringing. Just because there's a book that is a bestseller in in life way doesn't mean it's good for you. It doesn't mean that the message is true. Anyone who comes and says, brothers and sisters, I have the same authority, or even implies I have the authority that Paul had because I've met Jesus. Run. Run. Because the message of the gospel is done. 
And it's not to say that God doesn't lead and interact in our lives. The personal Holy Spirit is there to lead and guide and direct us, but he will never give a revelation that alters in any way the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must be wary of the people who say, I, God said this, God gave me a download of this, fill in the blank. It always come back to like the Bereans, go to this word. Does it match the gospel that is there? But there are ways, brothers and sisters, that you and I, we addressed a little bit last week, the ways that you and I are prone to do just this. Just like the Galatians, to turn away from the gospel, to turn to something less than the gospel or to add to the gospel. And just really briefly, we'll work these out as we continue on through the Galatians. Ways that we will distort or, or twist or, or dilute the gospel. Whenever you hear language that in any way ties your identity to God based on your working in your own strength or power, you've turned to a different gospel. Whenever you or someone else begins to work according to their own rules, regulations, cultural practices, we have a tendency to take what is a cultural practice and elevate it to gospel truth, right? I shared this with a group that was in church. Why do we meet on, when, on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock? Why is that the most popular time for church in the world or in America? Because 150 years ago, everybody had to get up in the morning and finish all the farm chores and milk the cows and get the eggs, and that was how long it took for them to finish all of the chores and get to the church. And then they did dinner on the grounds because everybody was a 20, 30-minute buggy ride back to where they were from. So they had dinner on the grounds, and then they got home in time for the evening chores. Why is, why is 10 o'clock the most culturally, or, you know, popular time for church? Because it was culturally available to the people. It's not gospel. And when we take our culture and we put it on it that church looks this way, that Christians look this way, and all of this other stuff, and it's cultural, Christians vote this way. Oh, let me go there. When we start adding things to the gospel, in addition to it, we're turning to another gospel. And the last thing, when we start striving in our own strength to earn God's favor, to keep God happy, we're to live, believing in something less than the true gospel that declares grace and peace is yours because God has already done everything necessary in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, what we need to do this morning so we need to do a hard heart check in our lives, looking for ways that we're adding to the gospel, that we're taking away from the gospel, that we're turning away from Jesus Christ to so some man-made something that says, if you don't do X, Y, Z, or if you do do X, Y, Z, God's not real happy with you. And it's anything other than if you have not believed in Jesus and receive the salvation that comes by his finished work. God said it, I believe it, it is done. Now what Jesus says, it is finished. Tetelestai, paid in full, period. We can trust and we can believe in that. Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to be arrogant to think that this is just a problem for this church. Brothers and sisters, he's writing not just to one church, but to several churches throughout Galatia. And this is Paul. Paul planted them. Paul pastored them. I don't care how much you love me. Thank you so much. I will never be the pastor for you that Paul was for them. 
And these people have quickly turned to something less than the message Paul preached. If they're prone to wander that way, how much more you and me? Why look at Galatians? Because it's that urgent. Because it's that prevalent. It's your pattern and my pattern. And we need to be reminded, even here and even now, God has done everything in Christ. We can add nothing to it. We can take nothing away from it. All we can do is receive it. So my question is, have you received that today? If not, then I invite you to surrender right here, right now to the God who has done everything in his son, Jesus Christ, that you might be forgiven of your sins, that you might be born anew spiritually, and that you might be adopted into a forever family Then you called and, and equipped to live free because you've been set free in Jesus Christ. And if you have been set free in Christ, brothers and sisters, and you're here this morning and you're a Christian, are you living in that freedom, full and total faith in Jesus alone? Because it's not Jesus and. It's only Jesus. Would you take a moment, close your, head, or close your eyes and bow your head and go before the Lord and seek his face, pray, and ask him how it is that you have in any way turned to something less than him and his gospel. Just merely ask his grace and his mercy and that he would restore it to you and he would grant you peace and that he would show you now that you have been set free in the way that you can live free. Take a moment and I'll close.